Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. That's Mrs. Byrne. She just got her entire M&S shop for free. She's this week's randomly selected Sparks customer who doesn't need to pay for a thing. Not only that, every time she shops at M&S and scans her digital Sparks card, M&S donates to her chosen Sparks charity. Plus, she gets personalised offers and treats. Sparks, the new reward scheme from M&S. Good things happen every time you shop. Join today in the M&S app. Terms, conditions and exclusions apply. For details, see marksandspencer.ie. Welcome to the Dope Black Dads podcast, a place where we are changing the narrative and having progressive conversations about black fathers, as well as creating a safe digital space for the community. This is the Dope Black Dad podcast. My name is Marvin Harrison, and today I'm over the moon. We've got my usual Avengers with me. We have Ortiz and Marvin too, we call him, uh, usually because I hate <laughs> the fact that he sounds impeccable in audio. Um, so welcome, Marvin Ortiz. How are you guys doing? Yeah, good, thanks. Yeah, yeah, well, thanks. Amazing. Everyone seems very serious today. This is so unlike us. Um, today we're joined got an by... MP David. in the building, that's why. Because you've got what? We've got an MP in the building, that's why. Correct this afternoon. <laughs> our next guest Come also... correct. Yeah, our, our, our next guest also has a ratchet and a ratchet side. We're going to try and get into a little bit of both. But ultimately, we're here today with <laughs> David Lammy. For everyone who doesn't know, he's a, the Tottenham Labour MP. Uh, he's an incredible advocate for social progression, uh, has been fighting for many, many years. I'll say since 1997, probably before. Harvard graduate. You were educated with Obama. Is that still is that an accurate way to to frame well, it? Well, we both went to Harvard and we and we, we became friends, but we were not there at the same time. Is the ah, there you go, alumni. Um, yeah. And so, thank you so much for joining. I really appreciate you taking time out um, to have this conversation with us. How are you, David? I'm I'm quite I'm well. You can probably see just little fat bags under my eyes, so I'm slightly burning <laughs> the candle at both ends. And, you know, in work wise, but but I'm good. Yeah. Good. good. That's good. To, well, to be fair, the country is in a huge transition and there's a lot to be, to hold them to account for. So I, I envision that's why you're particularly overworked at this time. But I, I think every time I've come across you, you seem like you're doing multiple things at the same time and it's, it's very intense. Has, has your workload got better or worse since you started? I've had a tough workload for some time, you know, well over a decade. Uh, if you think about, I mean, the first, the starting point for any MP's work is, is their constituency. Mm. Um, and if you go, if you went back 10 years, in fact, this year, Tottenham was rioting. <laughs> um, yeah. and we hadn't even really got into austerity and now we've got a recession. So, you know, it is important to stress that, you know, what does that mean? It means unemployment. Um, black unemployment is always double what the national unemployment rate is. That means hardship in families. It means less money around. It's for some young people, as you know, it also is the seduction of criminality. Uh, and very, very sadly already in Tottenham this year, there have been four murders 
uh, a knife crime event. So that's the starting point. And then beyond that, of course, I'm now in a more senior position in the Labour Party. I've got the justice brief. Um, and therefore, last week, I was obviously leading for Labour on some of the change the government wants to make around protest. And then, you know, people know a uh, long-standing interest in criminal justice, the Lamy Review. Uh, and there are lots of issues I've taken up over the years, um, education, all this. So I've got, I've, I've always had a busy, I like, I like to be busy. I mean, I, you know, I like to be busy, but yes, this is a tough time. Mm. So uh, when, when we knew you was going to have you on, I was, I was really inspired because it just landed in my, in my mind, this question. And when, when we talk to our groups and when we talk to our community as a whole, we're always asking this question in terms of what our vision is, not only for ourselves as a group, us as an intersection, but then also us as being British. What actually is the vision that we're chasing? And I think there's probably two approaches. There's one that is, this is what Britain is, and this is how you work within it and try to make it make sense for you. And then there's also how you carve out your own piece of it so that you can control more of the outcomes for you, your family, your friends. Um, and, I, and I really started to think about what actually is the vision for Britain in 2021. I, I couldn't land at one that really either romanticized or was clear, clear to me. Does any, does any, any of you guys have a view as to what it is at this time? I'll confess. I don't, I don't, I don't know what it is. I have my own ideas about what I think it should be, which I'm sure we, we will all get into later, but I, I don't know what it is currently. Marvin, are you are you romanticised by any single vision of Britain as to and, and one that preferably includes you, or even if it doesn't, it doesn't really matter, really. I'd agree with Autis. I think I've actually come to terms with the fact of being uncomfortable or or not knowing what Britain looks like or what Britain, including me, looks like. I think before I've tried to be maybe a bit more idealistic, but taking into account the recent events, especially what happened last year, it's like yeah, I'm I'm at a point where I don't know, but I'm optimistic that it will change for the better. Can I, can I just give a slightly damning approach? So we, we, we know about aggressive policing, the policing that's very much present in all of our lives, specifically me. I, I still have, you know, things that I feel from growing up, um, uh, in Hackney. Uh, the NHS is underfunded. The financial disparity has increased uh, in the last 10 years. Our, our, our strange attempt to romanticize the US has failed and we seem to be in slight limbo. We are very aware of Brexit and the financial impacts that's going to have on probably every single family. The conversation around race seems to have completely turned into a, a, a brick wall of no, it's not. And it doesn't happen. And it, it wasn't racism. It was something else. We've seen a massive response to gender issues in the last few weeks. Is, you know, is there anything, David, I, I suppose you're, your, your charge is to give us some sort of confidence as to either what it is now or what it is that you would like it to be. Is that, is, am I, am I overselling it? Look, I think you touched on a point earlier, which is uh, America. Our challenge in this country is to come to terms with being four, 4% just above of the population. And what we need is an inclusive vision that includes us. It's still the case too often that, that black people who are successful, you're hearing the first to do this, the first to do that. That is still happening. That, that should not be happening anymore. <laughs> Those glass ceilings should have gone, right? There has been a conversation as a result of Black Lives Matter, but clearly for a, a lot of people within the community, they're tired of conversation. They want action. The theme that you hear time and time again amongst black folk is, I'm tired. And why do they say I'm tired? They say I'm tired because 
this is actually no longer about blackness. You know, the four of us, we share something so powerful and there's a deep understanding that we don't even have to explain. It's not about blackness. This, the conversation that's required, the action that's required is about whiteness. <laughs> that is the truth of it. <laughs> and when we, when we can have, when, when there's a conversation about whiteness and some action that flows from that, because in the end, that is where on the whole, if you look at the figures, the power lies then we will get change. Now, what excites me, what is the hope in that is that I actually do sense amongst a younger generation, uh, millennials, generation Y, Z, I do sense that there is a kind of, we're up for this. I, I sense people educating themselves, reading the books, uh, getting with the issues and not just on, on, on race, but on climate, a whole, whole raft of issues. The problem is the millennials are some way from power. Right, the baby boomers still have all the levers of power. Whether they're FTSE 100 chairman or chief execs, whether they're running countries, uh, their power is not with the younger folk yet. And so we're in this transition period. But look, I always say all the things you listed, Marvin, and that I go on about in politics are real and hard and mean and tough. And it depresses me that we have a go. You know, David Cameron asked me to lead the review on the criminal justice system. Uh, and that was a bold move, reaching across the political aisle, saying, David, can you do this for me? Why has Boris turned his back on all of that now and talking about structural racism not even existing? He's got Kemi Badenoch, his equalities minister, going out poo-pooing any idea of structural racism. So we are going backwards. There is this populism that doesn't feel like it's inclusive um, at all. But on the ground, this is where I wanted to end. We've got to be hopeful. The largest minority group in our country it will come out of the census i hope you've all done the census the census is so important for funding by the way <laughs> please let them count us please do your census now <laughs> we do exist right uh, but but the largest ethnic group is people of mixed heritage backgrounds what does that mean it means that black and white people are falling in love they're having children. Actually, let us never forget that the hope is there. And often people on the ground are ahead of where governments are. And, and you know, so I, I think the future is hopeful and we've got to fight for it. So would you say that the, the dog is wagging the tail or the tail is wagging the dog in terms of the shift from how we've... Because I don't know if it's just me and I'm romanticising, but I felt maybe 15, 20 years ago, the conversation around race was a lot healthier. And is that the people... We had a Labour government. <laughs> oh, we we had a Labour... No, we didn't! We had a Labour government. We had people like uh, Obama came along. Where we, you know, things were different. We had we had growth. This is before austerity. Yeah. Look, when, when, this, when, when there's money around, yeah, we're up for a conversation about racism. I mean, it's when, it's when resources get scarce. <laughs> <laughs> you know, th- th- things can change. Let's get real, Marvin. Come on. <laughs> you know? do, you, do you think that's that, that's the main driver? Is this that is it, the economic shift has meant that you know we need to divide where the money is going and not going, and blame helps divide the, where that money and attention and time is going into, or is it the leadership of of the conservative government explicitly? Is it media? Where what, what, where is the genesis and what's the reaction? I afterwards? think that I think that the world has some very very serious problems. 
uh, it, the Western world has an aging population. Its economies, particularly here in the UK, are no longer based on manufacturing where th- goods and things are made in the East, you know, in Africa and places, uh, in China. Over here, it's a service economy, huge inequality, vast amounts of the country that have very little, uh, massive cuts to public sector funding. In that context, I'm afraid the politics of divide and rule kicks in, doesn't it? And a populism kicks in. Trump led the way and it's being mimicked. And it's definitely the case over here uh, that, it, that, that the Trump playbook is being deployed. And I'm afraid that means that the, the politics are very crude. Um, so, I, you know, that's what we're dealing with. And it's, and I say, it's, 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 I find some of what's going on astounding and depressing. For example, you know, I'm now almost 50. How can we still, after the Scarman inquiry into the Brixton riots in 1981, still be having the same old dusty conversation about stop and search? Mm. Can you imagine how there's nothing new in this? Stop and search is not going to crack knife crime in this country. Only a serious conversation about drugs and who is trafficking cocaine from Colombia through Amsterdam and Spain and then pimping out black boys to run it across the country. That's a serious conversation about county lines. Stop and search isn't a serious conversation about county lines. All it does is alienate the the, the 15 black kids out of the one that you stopped 25 times embarrassing them in their own street and their own surrounding by stretching out their arms and patting them down when they did nothing wrong. But we knew this, we knew this 30, 40 years ago. Why are we still having the conversation now? So that's the sort of stuff, I think, where black communities say, we're tired of this. But, you know, I, I understand that. And I find it, I find, you know, Theresa May changed the stop and search rules after the Tottenham riot. She said, right, we want more accountability. We want less of it. Within five years, They've switched it back. Why? Because it plays to a headline in a tabloid newspaper, the Daily Mail, that tells people we're going to fix this problem. They don't, they don't fix this problem. They're serious about the problem. Yeah, I, I was going to say that the you know the the stop and search thing. It's all it's all part of the system, though, isn't it? As in, it's not going to change because it exists to keep us feeling alienated, to keep us feeling far from equal, to keep us feeling marginalized you know an intelligent uh, an intelligent society would recognize that singling out people like that results in a negative feeling within that community about themselves and about their relationship with with the police why why change that because it's it's serving its purpose it continues to aid keeping us under the boot as it were, and it continues to drive negative headlines. Why, why should we expect them to change it? Well, it depends about who, it's about who de- them is. I'm quiet with that. I'm not such a conspiracy theory. I mean, I think that I think <laughs> some of this stuff is, you know, I, uh, for me, this is not Black Panther. I <laughs> 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 Uh, I mean, I get where you're coming from, but I think the politics of it are transparent. And that's what leaves people feeling cold because they feel like, hang on a minute, 
So I'm actually a pawn to be played with. So, uh, so I think, I think, no, I think, I think what you're, what you're explaining is interesting because I, I was looking at this idea about conspiracy theories and what drives it. And ultimately it's anxiety. So when people have anxiety around an issue, they then create meaning and then, you know, these stories are attached to it, but they are rife in our community. Not, and some of them are based in lots of deep logic and evidence. And some of them are, you know, exaggerations of ideas. But I, I think the important part is, is that it's a really important thing to pay attention to in terms of how people feel about the country that they're in or the system that they're in. And, and I think, I suppose what you're saying is that ultimately it's always a bit simpler than that. It's, you know, it serves a headline to drive votes and popular opinion around an idea. And it's usually connected to some sort of funding or commerce or business outcome. And it's not, they don't, we're not even in mind. We, we're, yeah. they're not, we're not actually even thinking about it at all. You got it. You got it. Yeah. And the measure, by the way, let's just be clear, the measure of a civilized democracy is how that democracy treats its minorities. And it's this, I remember having a wonderful conversation with Cornell West, uh, wonderful American, African American academic. And he said, it's so hard for you guys in Europe because, you know, you, you've got to understand here in the United States, it's hard to describe African Americans as a minority community. Whereas you, you guys really are a minority. And, and, and he said to me, what that means is the majority sometimes doesn't see, doesn't know, doesn't care. And, and so we've always got to be also in the business. And I'm always in the business of allyship. We have to find allies, progressive allies. And those allies will not look like us. They can't possibly. It's why in politics, I've always allied myself to um, feminist causes and gender equality. Uh, and I did that at the dispatch box last week on the issue of violence against women, I think very effectively. I've always allied myself to LGBTQ issues. I did that during the same-sex marriage debate a few years ago, because in the end, I know that if we don't hang together as groups that can sometimes be sat on, we're not going to make the progress that we need to make. I think, um, you know, David, with the point you mentioned about 1981 and the disparity there with, I guess that was the sus laws and stop and search. That's right. You got I it. I think there's like a woeful ignorance on black history and the fact that black history is actually world history as well. And I think what was really good with Black Lives Matter is that people saw it. They saw, you know, the, the murder of George Floyd. It was undeniable and it was racist. And I think there needs to be a lot more education around black history, especially in, in relevance to, you know, to the UK and to England where people can then understand and we can tap into that empathy that if they were taught about what happened, if they taught about what's happened to the Windrush generation, if they taught, were taught about the fact that, you know, slavery in the UK didn't necessarily happen on British soil, but it happened in the Caribbean. And that's why it's not as evident as it is in America. I think that will start to educate people so they can become allies. Because I, I do like to think that most people, when you do pluck on their heartstrings or when you do tell them the truth, they will change their thinking. But at the moment, if all they're getting is the Daily Mail headline or the comment section on the Daily Mail, then that's all they're going to believe. And so we do need to kind of challenge that and, and begin to educate people, um, especially through, you know, that the BBC series around small acts and, um, you know, the, the kind of um, Steve McQueen series. I think when people see that and they begin to understand what we and our, and our parents and our grandparents went through, they, they do start caring. Wonderful point. Absolutely wonderful. There is a hell of a lot to do in our schools, not just in history, but in history, as you know, we're sort of obsessed with the two H's, Henry VIII and defeating Hitler. 
and there's a hell of a lot in between <laughs> that we need to understand. And colonialism is a big part of that. You know, uh, I, I said in the Commons after Windrush, uh, quoting from Stuart Hall, the wonderful Professor Stuart Hall, who's no longer with us, we are here because you were there. I am the sugar in the British cup of tea. And I love that because it harks back to my ancestors in Guyana on those, on those sugar fields, on those plantations. And that commodity of sugar being so, Britain being so desirous of it and the export and sale of it that it enslaved black people to, you know, to work on those plantations for that particular commodity and you're right that history really is not sufficiently understood and you know even as you know i mean we all, we all know this you raise slavery <laughs> very quickly the conversation switches usually within about five seconds to abolition <laughs> yeah, really. can we just stick on the several hundred years yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, uh, uh, and but even on abolition well, let's talk about the rebellions. Let's talk about the, the, what slaves, them, enslaved people did themselves to fight for their freedom. We, we don't know the names of those heroes. They're known actually in the Caribbean and in America, but they're not really known in UK schools. I just, I sort of think how my shoulders would have lifted up had I known those names and known those stories of those great men and it makes me well up even just thinking about those individuals people like sam sharp in jamaica coffee in guyana those names are not household names and they should be no films have been made about those guys Uh, and yes thank you mr wilberforce but there's much more to discuss uh, just on that singular agenda but there's so much more so you're absolutely right uh that the history i mean i could be wearing my t-shirt Black history is British history. And by the way, let me just make this point also. Yes, I suspect all of us in this conversation, we, we own our blackness. We say we're black with pride and we, you know, we, we embrace that. But let me be absolutely clear. I am working for a day in which that descriptor is not because I am not black. I am of African descent. Mm. Uh, that adage of black which was obviously that takes you back to the n-word and other things that was ascribed to me when europeans invented this business of scientific racism and decided that there was a pecking order that put my ancestors and your ancestors at the bottom of it basically so it's also to understand that we we are we are striving for a period where yes we we embrace a culture which is which is of of african heritage if you like but actually the the badge of being black which has all sorts of things associated with it is something that we can estate because this was not we did not coin this mm. this was coined by others well Otis, can i just speak to you because i know you you being on tv at a time when you first started was at a time where that, that wasn't very common so you've obviously walked into a room, which is ultimately you are, you know, one of the few black faces on TV. I know David, you have a similar experience in terms of politics at a time. 
Like, can you just speak to, because I think we're at the structural level, but just on the human level, it's really good just to understand what holding that space is like and what that feels like in comparison to being amongst, you know, what is happening in, in, in the rest, in the wider Britain. It's funny because I didn't pay it, uh, I didn't pay it as much attention then as I do or as I would now. Uh, when, when I first got into television, the whole industry was a, was an alien thing to me anyway. And everything that I had done from uh, the, the course I chose in pharmacy and higher education, right through my time at television, I was pretty much the only brother in the room anyway. So it was, and, and even at my primary schools, so it was something that I'd become used to and didn't, and didn't dwell on. But yes, I was the only brother in the room when I... Um, auditioned initially for my first gig as a TV presenter. I was the only black boy. When I moved to the BBC a few years later, preceding me had been Andy Peters, and he hadn't been doing anything at CBBC for a few years. So I occupied that space on my own for a number of years before uh, who came, uh, Lizo came next. Nigel Clark came after. Michael Underwood was there as well for. There's always, a, there's um, always room for one. I was just thinking that you're naming them, and I'm, and I'm, I, I know every single person you're talking about, and you're naming them, and I'm like, it is just one. It's just one. Yeah, yeah. I mean, at, at any at any one time, there were probably three of us on the rotor doing a program or continuity at the same time. The first time it really struck me that there is a, that there is a quota and we've already got one, so we don't need any more was when I tried to move from children's BBC to mainstream at the time who would have been doing big people BBC at the time. Uh, Lenny Henry was doing dramas and was pretty much the the go-to brother and um as a result of that of course i'm not i'm not blaming him there was just no there was no room do you know what i mean there was no room there were no opportunities or anything like that i was told to i was advised to leave children's reinvent myself and then come back how reinvent myself i don't (laughs) what 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 do i do my 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 shtick my um what I do and did well was was communicate with you know lashings of humor so i I began then to start to question um whether my blackness was a was an obstacle to progressing further and at the same time you know I have to uh, freely admit that at some points being black was actually an aid because when I started. And, and as has always been the case, you know, if you if you knew the if you knew the black guy on the estate, he was the cool guy and it was cool to run with him. So when they wanted a cool vibe for a particular program or a particular channel, it was it was me that they got in. So it, it had served me in a positive sense uh, or in a reverse sense, I guess, at at some time. Um, but whenever I went in for meetings prospecting about new work sharing new program ideas pitching and stuff there was never another black person on the other side listening to my ideas until until maybe about 2006 2007 and that was Sherwin Beckford 
Um, mm. And just for context, what, 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 what year did you start? I started in 94. Mm. So I, I, I think just to generalize, can I just generalize what's just been said? Because there's a couple of things that I think flow from that. One is I think there are particular challenges for black men uh, in terms of there's never more than one or there can never be more than one. Two, I think there's a, there's, it's still the case that our stories, the complexity, the diversity, the, uh, and by the way, it's not always bleak and depressing stories. We don't always. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Want to see um um you know different versions of um kid adulthood or adulthood or whatever. I, I knew i knew what you were going to um, say but you were know, trying to find that you're trying to find a nice way of saying it, 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 it can be it can be you know it, we, we've got we've got humor and and satire and range that stuff never gets covered i think the other thing is our mental health because the truth is you end up with an imposter syndrome you end up you what you you end up feeling that you don't fit you start it, it can really play on your mind it's this is stressful and actually it brings us this brings us full circle as to why very sadly during this pandemic we've seen the serious health inequalities that exist for people from our community uh because it's not surprising because this is going on in workplaces up and down the country in organizations as varied as working in a, for retail and being a senior manager at a retail store to working for the BBC, frankly, to working in the House of Commons. It's the same story. And there's so much to fix, so much to fix. And we're required to have a lot of resilience in the face uh, of this. So, so, David, and this is one question that it came from our group, actually. And, and it's one that I hear often, but I, I think you're probably best um, served to answer it. It's this idea of, so even for the Obama effect, he's coming to power. We expect him to fight specifically for black issues and to raise, move the needle, um, uh, for black people specifically. And I suppose that same, that same charge is laid at your door in terms of what do you do to, to help black people? Is there, is there a, an insight into the inner workings of how politics works? What's the actual truth behind? people sort of understanding that you can make the change and what are you doing? You haven't done enough. You need to do more. Well, I always say to someone who says to me, what are you doing for me? The first starting point is what the hell are you doing? <laughs> Where did you lift your ass to do anything? <laughs> did you even vote? <laughs> what, what are you doing exactly? What organizations have you joined? Are you helping in the local football club with the kids? Are you helping to stop some boy being seduced by a knife crime? What are you doing? Not just for your son. I hope you're there for your son, by the way, but for others. So that's the starting point, right? Because <laughs> I know what I'm doing. I'm doing my best is what I'm doing. Uh, and I think that's self-evident. In I don't want to list the things that I've done, but I, I, you know, I stood up on Windrush and got that inquiry. 
We haven't got the full justice, but we're halfway there. I stood up on Grenville. I've raised who gets to, we pay, our taxpayers pay for Oxford and Cambridge. Uh, shouldn't some black people be able to go? <laughs> I raised that in our national, our national life. I was there for the riots and I raise these issues and I, I, I do what I can for my constituents. And I do this against the backstop where my party has not been in power for a decade. So I, ha- I feel I've, been able to bring some change, not the full change, but some change, throw some spotlight, despite the fact that actually my party has not had the power. So it's the sheer strength of opposition uh, and focus, media focus uh, and articulacy that gets you some change, not enough, but some. So uh, politics can work. It does require organisation. It, you know, I don't know if we're always as organized as we need to be in terms of the coming together. It does. You have to show up. You, you have to be there. And particularly if you're a minority group, if you're only 4% of the population, you have to kind of show up. Um, you know, I, I was thinking of Windrush. I remember when I was discussing with Lenny Henry what we we're going to do about Windrush. And I actually said to Lenny, Lenny, can you, can you get some, some, some black? artists and stars together and just walk up number 10 with a petition on the monday morning and the t- tv cameras there would bring a spotlight to it and then he said sure david i said i'm going to put him for an urgent question but i'm not sure i'm going to get my urgent question in parliament anyway it turned out i got my urgent question so lenny didn't have to do that but the point is actually imagine imagine if just 0.2 percent of the black community had sat down in the street in Whitehall and said, enough is enough. In fact, just imagine it was not even the men in our community. It was black women in our community had just said, enough is enough. Just imagine if we could be that organized. Actually, maybe on the issue of knife crime, if we could be that organized, what would happen? When has that happened in this country? When is it going to happen? When are we going to be that organized? So now Black Lives Matter maybe was the beginning of something because people were turning out. It's not just about our community. As I said before, people were turning out of all colors to protest. But it is to say that I think politics does matter. It's all we have in a democracy unless you support anarchy. And having seen anarchy close up, because rioting in a sense is a is an element of that, uh, I would say that the pain that innocent people suffer in those circumstances, when you burn down someone's shop or their car, I'm sorry, I, I, I'm a Democrat. I wouldn't be in politics if I wasn't. I want to find democratic ways to resolve dif- dis- difference and dispute. And I think that organisation, turning up, being there, making your voice heard is what is what you need to do. And, and let me just, this last point I would say, my mother used to always say to me, when I was feeling sorry for myself. And there were moments where I felt sorry because of racism. There were moments where my own mental health was hurting because of racism. She would always say to me, David, live up to your ancestors' prayers. And that was to say that they prayed on that ship, that their great, great, great would one day be there. And that great, great, great is me. So, it is incumbent of us to be political, to get active and to be active and to be engaged, it seems to me. So is it fair to say that, that there's a work stream that we need to do 
And we can sit there and ask for the people who are currently in power to do some of this work. But the, re the reality is, is that they probably don't see us, understand us or know us well enough to do the work effectively. You are there on the front lines trying to make that conversation happen as much as possible. But the work is, is that we then need to be visible, be active, be loud, drive the conversation to then hand you the ball to keep the conversation happening in the political realm. But also culturally, it's, it's in our court to do the work because we're relatively a small part of the population also and to partner with other intersections to collectivize and become a bigger block and put more actions together. Is, is that a fair way to summarize? I, I, I think that's a fair way to say. The only thing I haven't mentioned here, which I ought to mention for those who are conscious, who are listening is of course, there is a black diaspora that, that there is a, this is a story bigger than just here in the UK. There are black people across Europe. And actually, you know what? I would argue that here in the UK, we probably are a bit further forward than our friends in France next door or, or in Italy, you know, where there are other problems. And, you know, I, I talk a lot about the, if you like, the America's context of enslaved people, which America, Brazil, the Caribbean, South America. But of course, um, we could also have talked about Africa. Uh, uh, this week we've had comic relief. I've raised issues before. I'm going to a lot of bats. <laughs> you, you I went took on, a lot of brick bats. Yeah, you, you uh, went on. You went on. A, you went on. A, you went on a, a run, and you was you was sitting on platforms and and really giving it to people. And they were like, "So, so are you saying that white people shouldn't help then?" And, but the way you was just giving it, it was like there was no fat on the argument. It was clear. <laughs> That was a true hero moment. People don't know there are skyscrapers in Lagos. Dar es Salaam. Mm. They have no idea. They have mm. no idea that Ghana has one of the most booming economies in the world. Come on, let's balance this conversation. So there is a diaspora that we also have to be conscious of that connects us. And we have to be salient of it, seems to me, when we have these debates and have these arguments and build these the, the, these alliances. I mean, my, my sense is often with my um, uh, African brothers and sisters that 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 is that is understood. There's a lot of going back and forth between friends of mine who are you know Nigerian, Ghanaian. They're constantly going back and forth. So I think that that understanding is perhaps growing a, a little bit more in the community. My name is Sandra. I live in a hotel with my mum and dad. I have a new brother. He cries a lot. I think he wants to go home. When a child is born into homelessness, the damage caused could last a lifetime. But you can help. Please call Focus Ireland at 1850 204 205 and give whatever you can. One simple gift from you today could change the course of a child's life forever. It's interesting because I'm here in South Africa at the moment and the, the, the attitude here is, is, is almost like they're, they're in a probably a, a much worse socioeconomic standing than you are. But the, the middle, middle class here and the people who are taxpayers, there's 3 million now, I think, I think it's 46 million. Um, they, they're fearless. They're very much ready for the task at hand and they're really looking to work. And I'm not sure if, I think that I'm not sure if the energy is the same in the UK. It feels like we're constantly on some sort of, like all of our energy goes into fighting our likeness 
on yeah. Twitter and not into actually growing and building anything. Yeah. It always seems yeah. to be yeah. like, you know, there was a point. So I, I stopped doing most radio and TV interviews for the last year just because I realized I was being called in and it was just like someone said something racist Marvin what do you think is that? and I was just like, <laughs> yeah, like what do you think racism again <laughs> just, we didn't understand the first we didn't understand the last hundred times explain yeah. it again <laughs> so I, I just felt like it became a bit of a waste of time and there was no action in it and there was nothing coming along do you, Marvin and Alter do you think there's a, a, an almost like a, a I said nothing by the way I, I said very little of Meghan and Harry Mm. because I just thought we're going around again here. I can't take this. I can't do this. Yeah, there's, there's that, with and it's a case of <laughs> if, if they can't, if, if with, with me echoing, echoing the sentiment that you, you raised earlier, David, like people are, are tired, you know, we're tired of having to explain it again and again and again and again. So, you know, Marvin, it makes, it makes, it's, there's no surprise to me that you're done with, going on shows and being our representative, the the talking the talking head. Me personally, I only want to engage with those that have a curiosity about it or have approached me and said, um, I heard something you mentioned when you were on the Dope Black Dads forum or that you put up on your on your Instagram stream or, you know, when you were talking about whiskey, the the the, the three of you also touched on a race issue. Those are the people that I'm happy to engage with. Yes, there are still difficult conversations, but they have already presented to me that they are, they have an open ear and that they are willing to at least listen. Do you know what I mean? Trying to shout into the ear of someone who isn't listening, it's just a waste of time, waste of energy. Yeah. I'd, I'd also say, I think, I think we've been so disenfranchised over here that I don't, I don't know about you guys, but I, many people I know feel like we're still on the plantation. Like we don't mm. feel like we, Britain is, is ours. We don't feel entitled. We don't feel accepted and many people still have pipe dreams of of going back home or going back to africa and so sometimes i think that's why not as many people are kind of up for the fight on 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 this soil mm. in as much as they'd want to travel back home because they feel like what's the point and i think there's something there about emasculating both the black male but just disqualifying us as a people that yeah we, we don't want to fight um when i did a operation black vote a few years ago what i realized is in my local community decisions are made whether there's two people in that room or whether there's 10 people in that room, the decisions will still be made on that Wednesday night when you're at home, you know, watching the FA, FA Cup or watching Champions League or something like that. And it's, it's just that where we've just disenfranchised ourselves by not engaging because we just don't feel like it's for us. So we're like, no, we'll leave that. But by doing that, we can't then complain we don't get the results that we want. And, and I feel back to the point that Autis and, um, and David was making earlier, that that suits a particular narrative. I think people enjoy us being disenfranchised because we're, we're not going to put up a fight. Yeah. Um, David, just before you go, I have, I have one other question. So every time you do something amazing online, uh, whether you're saying something that's really moving people or you're, you're reminding people about Stacey Dooley, I'm, I, you know, I say something, I, I, I have a, I go and do a little search and I like to see the sentiment of what's happening within our community. And there's one story about you that keeps coming up that people, especially within our community, are, are not happy about. And I just want to know, is it okay, true? what's that? And is it clear? And it keeps reoccurring. So it, it was around about the riots and it was um, I don't know if it was a quote or, or, or a wider piece about um, many of the young people involved in last year's riots were from single parent homes and it was framed as single mothers not raising their children to not loot and it keeps reoccurring and people you know constantly tweet about it and, and I, I'm sure you must see some of it in some capacity but there's something around that we that- live in an age of so much misinformation 
you know, it's, uh, it's terrible. Uh, you know, the social media, uh, and it, it's really important to understand that, and this is the sort of, this is the conspiracy. There are right wing groups with really good funding and money. There are foreign governments involved in some of this and they deliberately stoke and put out misinformation and disinformation to sort of create chaos in a democracy. And the truth is I am, as David Lammy, uh, as, you know, a senior, uh, and pro- one of the most visible, you know, ethnic minority MPs and actually now one of the most visible MPs, full stop, in, in the, certainly in the opposition. Uh, there are, there are reasons why they put out misinformation and stoke division because it sort of undermines the British democratic system. And then some of the right-wing groups are deliberately trying to bring people like me down. You know, they, that's that's their job, to create division. And so there's I've seen stuff on expenses comes up every time. You know, and I, you know, my expenses are... I haven't got personal expenses. I do. Ha- I do have to fund the staff in my office to deal with the serious problems that exist in a community like Tottenham. But I don't have it. Certainly not compared to other MPs. They raise. Um, I mean, all sorts of things, and that's one of them. I. I was raised by a single mother. I talk about that with pride. The woman that raised me to be the man that I am today. My dad left us at twelve. I don't have any bitterness towards my father who's not with us either. Uh, he, 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 the system broke him and it breaks a lot of men. And I have raised issues of fatherhood in the black community and supporting black fathers uh, and the wonderful organizations that do support black fathers, particularly young black fathers who most often want to be there for their children. And the system sometimes conspires for them not to be, by the way. Um, there's a lot of complexity to that story. It's not a simple story. I actually started the all party group on fatherhood. So I did a wonderful documentary on Radio 4 on Young Black Dad. So where I'm coming from on this issue is, I think is, is if you do the research is well known, but if you, if you're, if you're relying on social media, then you're going to come across all sorts of bizarre things. Okay, and the important thing to say is in whose interest is this line coming? Cause it ain't ours. Mm. It ain't ours. That's interesting. Uh, my, my last quick question to you, I just, it just uh, flagged to me as I, as you were speaking. It's really, really important. So, um, there's been a lot of articles in Huffington Post was speaking about the disenfranchisement of the black community in, in relation to Labour Party and they feel like political nomads. Um, and in terms of one, I think there's, there's two elements. One, what would your response be to those who feel like they have been disenfranchised by the Labour Party in, in the last few years? But more significantly, what, how would you characterize Keir's approach? approach to leadership because the polls seem to have him a lot higher than anybody else and I'm not sure if he's playing like a slight waiting game of not going into too many things and then waiting for an actual election to to bite I'm not sure what the strategy is and some of the issues he seems to have fumbled around uh, Black Lives Matter and a couple other issues that really matter to us you know how do you reconcile those two things because there's always a bit of a a balance Um, I think we've got to see the big picture here you know we've now had um, we're now into the 11th year of a conservative government. We lost the last election. The Labour lost it badly. We've got to win 124 seats just to have a majority of one. We've got to have a swing to win the next election bigger than the swing that Tony Blair got in 1997. This is a steep curve. And let's be clear, black people, when we say black people are tired, 
there's a lot of upset in black communities and that's putting it gently i always say to people people say oh you're passionate damon i mean i said whatever i'm saying is a sanitized version of what's being said in the black community you go go and spend some time in a barber shop in tottenham to really know what's going on (laughs) so so i'm saying upset and i'm using a phrase gently but but the point is this is because because we have not felt empowered for well over a decade and because we can sort of see no end in sight right um i'm not sure that's any different if you went back to 1989 1990 when margaret thatcher had been in power for a very, very long time. And boy, oh boy, I remember the Tottenham Three. I remember the poll tax riots. I remember the way black people were feeling at that point, right? Um, it's similar. And so I would say I understand where that's coming from. But I would also say progressive forces are generally speaking where we have to be and in our political interests. Uh, Labour's got a big task under Keir Starmer. I think Keir represents uh, someone that's serious, that's going to do the work. Uh, I'm, I'm very much enjoying working with him on the front line. He has a good track record when he was running the Crown Prosecution Service in this country of promoting black people and working with black people like Wendy Williams. People don't know this, who did the review into Windrush. Uh, people don't know that. Uh, he has been, he hasn't even been running the Labour Party for a year. And a lot of the stuff he's picking up, I've got to say, was under the old leadership. So I think people have got to be, uh, but this is a context that is Black Lives, Black Lives Matter and other things have really r- rattled and upset black communities. So am I going to say to black communities, I, 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 I want to say I understand why you would give Keir Starmer and the Labour Party a hard time. Uh, and it's really important the Labour Party isn't complacent about black votes all i would say is please if you're doing that please i want to see you giving the government as hard uh, and more because they are running the country you know so i get worried about attacking your own (laughs) or if you know what i mean and and not keeping your eye on the uh, who's really uh affecting your life Uh, uh but i i understand why that's the case and in the end in politics if you can't stand the heat, get out the kitchen. Uh, so Keir has to stand the heat. I have to stand the heat. That's the nature of the job. I cannot expect the community uh, and the meetings I've done over the years uh, where I've had to go into a room and I've had to take some licks because the black people in that room, they don't get to say this to Boris Johnson. So they're going to say it to me and hope that I might say it to Boris Johnson when I see him. I understand that. That's the, that's, that's, you got to be grown ups about it. I'm, I, I'm, I'm happy to take some licks. I'm happy to hear what it is you feel and to know that what it is you feel is very emotional for you. And you don't get to speak to power very often. And so, you know, you've got to direct those views at me or Diane Abbott or whoever it is. And there aren't many of us. So Dawn Butler, you know, so that's, so I, I get that, but it's just to put it in a, in, in some context to say, let's, let's have this in balance. The man's been in the job for a year, for less than a year. He's got a big, big task at, at a very tough time. And look, look, look at what these conservatives are doing. Amazing. Thank you so much. I'll just quick one word answer. Would there be any value in creating a black 
party specifically for the UK? No. No. I know. I know. I want no. to follow up. I mean, I no, no, no. I'm not. I, no, because it, it, that's just, that would be as my mum would say, "Damn stupidness." Uh, one because we have a first past the post system that in the end is tough on the greens and the lib dems let alone uh some newbie come along uh, look what happened when chukaramuna i'm sorry let's get real here wow. let's get re- i'm sorry <laughs> it's self-evident right <laughs> where you got my self oh, it's self-evident <laughs> Chukamuna went from almost leading the Labour Party to, to like being in Change UK to now being, I don't even know if he's even in Lib Dems anymore, if he's gone into just got a job. I can't, I can't even remember, but he's, the, the, the shift has been. Chuck has got a great job at uh, Morgan Stanley or somewhere recently. It's it's a PR agency or something, I think it is. Yeah. Chuck, Chuck is a good friend of mine. So I don't want to, I'm just saying <laughs> it didn't work out. I think if Chuka was on the show, he'd say it didn't work out, right? Yeah. Um, so how do you just, you know, sometimes there's this wonderful, I think it might even be an African proverb. If you stand still long enough, the whole world comes to you in the end. And sometimes you just, in when when it's stormy, you just have to stand still and center yourself and know where you stand in the ground. And it comes round. And Chuka had some concerns about the Labour Party at that time. I understand those concerns. But, you know, if you just stood still, guess what? Just a few months later, it kind of comes round. And so there's that business of just that inner, inner calm that you do need to find. Uh, rushing to go form other. Can you imagine the energy it would take to go and form this other party? Energy that you could be deploying now on behalf of the Windrush, on behalf of these young, young, young boys that are picking up knives to challenge Boris Johnson and the nonsense that there's no structural racism. Let us deploy our energy on raising your family the best you can, doing your job the best you can, providing for yourself and your community, volunteering in your local community. Let's put our energy where it's really needed. Please, let's not run off and start dispersing it in all sorts of nonsense areas. Understood. David, thank you so much. I hope we're friends and you speak better <laughs> nicely of me also in the future. Uh, Autist Marvin, thank you so much for joining me today. It means a lot. Um, it's been a great conversation and Pleasure. very useful. And I, and I think we, we've done our, our community proud to... Fact, to guys, can I just that. say, this has been like therapy for me. I love... This has been a wonderful conversation. I, I love it. I I, I, I kind of want a gig presenting with you guys. <laughs> so free. Your dad, your dope, your black. We'll hold you to that. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be emailing your this team so you great. can do yeah this we'll make is, it happen this has been wonderful thank you David guys okay. thank you so much and so thank you guys for listening I really much appreciate it we'll be back next week with another episode uh, you can find us at at Dope Black Dads on all social media platforms you can also email me for a chat at hello at dopeblackdads.com thank you so much for listening my brothers I appreciate you all uh, we'll be back next week At AJ Products, we offer workplace solutions for office, school, warehouse and environment. But at AJ, 
we do things differently. Our approach to quality and innovation means we design and make many of our own products, giving a more unique and personal service to our customers. Like our sound absorbency screens, office panelling and our style metal storage cabinets, all designed and built by AJ Products. Visit ajproducts.ie or call 01 28 11 700. AJ Products. Surprisingly more. Ask AJ. Click and Collect is now available at your nearest Tesco. Get your shopping freshly clicked and freshly picked, ready for you to park and pick up outside the store. Shop online and book your slot for free today at tesco.ie. Tesco. Every little helps. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 